if you're top of your game, you do a good job and your results are good and everything. And then comes the, the manager and he says, ah, I think you can do 10% better than that. That kills me. There's a limit to everything. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Payton with the EOS Leader Podcast, and today I have the great pleasure to be speaking with Carl Haspels, a lifelong entrepreneur who started his first business at 19 and considers himself anti-leadership, which should be great fun. A seasoned expert in the complex world of global supply chain logistics management, Carl founded Air Cargo in 2004 and today serves as its visionary. Air Cargo is an independent logistics service provider based in the Netherlands, which specializes in shipping pharmaceuticals and perishables, including more than 2 million kilos of flowers each year around the world by air. Like its owner and visionary, the company is fiercely independent, which means they have no obligation whatsoever to any airline, shipping company, or agent. That allows them to provide optimal solutions even under complex, difficult conditions. In fact, Air Cargo's tagline, which I absolutely love, is the tougher it gets, the better we are. So, Carl, thanks for your time today and welcome to the show. Thank you, Peyton. So, let's start with a little history. Why why don't you go back and walk listeners through your entrepreneurial journey, starting maybe with that first company at 19 or anything you did uh, before that that was particularly entrepreneurial? Yeah, well, I have some problems uh, with people telling me what to do. That started already. <laughs> that started already when I was in school. For me, it was not a lot of fun in uh, in school. And well, I finished one school, but it's, it's I didn't come higher than uh, than college. I think it's uh, it's in the U.S. It's, it's quite similar. To that. And I started working for a company, and that took me about two weeks to decide for well, this is this is not what I want to do. So I started my first company at the age of 19. It was a cleaning company. And uh, I thought, well, that's easy money. You wake up a little bit early. You you start at six, you're ready at nine. And you do the same thing in the evening from six till 10. And then you have free all day. You can go to the beach and everything you want. But it soon changed. It was hard to get some customers in in these time slots. So it changed to uh, companies who did redecoration of, of buildings. So... We cleared out the flooring, the walls, the ceilings and everything and made it completely back to a state of new, completely in concrete and everything. So, and after that, the company came in and put in some new walls, new new flooring and everything. And then we cleaned it by vacuuming and doing the windows and everything. And it worked really good for a couple of years. Then I had two big customers. They went bankrupt together in within mm. two months, mm. obviously. I was a victim of that as well. So I, <laughs> I was 21 and had a big debt. Luckily, I bought a, a house during the way of my entrepreneurial, uh, short entrepreneurial. So I had my first house at 20. And the market grew. So I could sell my house and could pay my bills uh, after the financial bankruptcy of my uh, my customers. I had some people working for me, so I had to pay them. So that was my first uh, company. Then I start, I start thinking, is this something for me or not? And so I tried again, found a new job. It was in sales and I was selling alcohol in, in Amsterdam uh, to the bars and restaurants. That was quite fun because it was also in the evenings. 
There is a recurring theme here, Carl. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Well, I was young and I was wild, so it was good for me. Meeting all people in in bars and restaurants in the evening. So that's fun. Yeah, it was. And I sold a little bit of uh, liquor and and, and beer and we had a beer brand. And uh, so I did that. And there was a boss. It was not my cup of tea. So he was telling me, you know, you have to start at eight o'clock in the morning and you have to work till six and all this kind of shit. He said, but I'm working in the evenings and I, I make a lot of appointments in the evening with the owners. They're always there. And if I go there at eight o'clock in the morning, they're never there. No, no, no. But then you have to go to hotels and you have to do different kinds. And ah, well, it for me, it, it took two years. And then I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. So <laughs> then I started my career in, in insurances. I found a job. It was a job that you work from home. You didn't have to go to the office. You had your own uh, wallet with customers and everything. So, well, that went really well. Made good money. Yeah, you had meetings with with some some bosses and everything. So, after a couple of years, I decided, well, I can start my own insurance company. So, I got my papers to start a business. And, uh, well, that flew away quite fast. I sold a lot of mortgages, insurances, and everything. It was fun. It was really fun. (laughs) <laughs> for a couple of years. Then I, f- I had a customer and he became a friend and he started working for me uh, on an hourly base. And in the meanwhile, he started an, a company in freight forwarding and uh, that went well. And he worked for me for a couple of hours. Then he had a shipment. So he drove off and brought the shipment to the airport and came back and he started working for me again. So we had a good relation in that. And this grew and grew. Uh, it grew so fast that in the end, he said, okay, let's make a holding and I bring in my insurance company and you bring in the freight forwarding company so we can divide the risk a little bit by uh, the financial market or the freight forwarding market. Mm. So we did. Uh, we acquired some, some real estate and things and uh, well, it was a really good, uh, really good company. Th- that was 2004 we started this. 2012, uh, he decided that he didn't want to work anymore with people around him and stuff and uh, he didn't like uh, having stuff around. So. Yeah, and I had a choice, sell the company or buy his shares and um, make a career change because I still had an insurance company with uh, mm-hmm. 10 people stuff. So I made a decision. Do I want to sit on the table of, uh, drinking coffee every morning with the elderly people and, and making damages of, of a, a dog who pissed to somebody else's skirt or something and <laughs> broke something or I was so f- f- it was done. Nothing for me. So I bought his shares, so I, I moved on and sold the insurance company. And yeah, after 2013, and it was finally finalized, it took off until two years ago. In 2019, yeah, it was crazy. It's too busy, yeah. too much work, too much people. I have no control anymore. So that's why I met with Mona and we talked about it. And I was looking for, for the solution to, to get a grip, a control on, on my business. Yeah, thanks. So we started talking. Yeah, well, yeah, well, we started talking and everything at that moment. But uh, yeah, well, we grew when in 2012 we had five people of staff. Yeah, that's what and I was going to ask. Give us a sense of size along yeah. the journey. How yeah. how big were was the company when you took over, and then how big in 2019, and and how many people today? Yeah, in 2013 it was around four or five. Let me see one. No, it was four because Andre was leaving my partner. So it was four people, staff and me. Uh, we had an annual turnover of 1.5 million euros. That grew a little bit. 2019, we did 4.5 million with around 16 people of staff. Mm. 
two years later where we are now this year we're going to hit uh, around 12 million wow so uh, and i think we will end up with 25 26 people of staff nice nice this year that's the goal we have and we set a goal uh, and the goal is not about uh, volume, not about revenues, not about people of staff. No, the goal we have set is that we want to be in the top 10 of the IATA ranking. IATA ranking is kilos exporting. Mm-hmm. Number one is Kudenagel, number two is DHL. So it's quite an aggressive goal we have set, but That's I awesome. think we're going to make it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great to hear. Was it intentional that you're focused on pharmaceuticals and perishables, particularly flowers, or accidental? How'd that come about? No. Before Air Cargo was, uh, was started, we had uh, the company name was uh, Eastbound Cargo. And what we did is shipping flowers to Novosibirsk in Russia. Mm. And every Saturday, uh, me and my, uh, my partner uh, drove off to uh, Germany in Hahn. It was about a three-hour drive with a van loaded with flowers, which we exported or imported from Colombia. Drove off on Saturday and delivered uh, at the airport at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning on Sundays and drove back. That's mm. what we did for three years. Mm. It was only flowers. And flowers is time-critical shipments. Right. Flowers is temperature-controlled shipments. And that is an easy bridge to pharmaceuticals Mm -hmm. that's always time critical that's always temperature controlled so we are good in time critical shipments we are good in temperature controlled shipments so we have a bonded warehouse with some cooling facilities for the flowers and everything from there we said okay the tougher it gets the better we are that's because it has to be on time if we ship flowers and we don't ship them tonight they are not nice and green but they will be brown right Especially the markets we ship to. The markets we ship is a lot of the Middle East. Yeah, I think it's 85% of the business of the flowers we ship is, is Middle East. And mm. we are now looking into expanding to the U.S. again, but it's quite difficult at the moment. Mm. Well, you're saying if it's 125 degrees, flowers don't last very long outside of a controlled no. environment. Yeah. No. Interesting. No. Interesting. What has the last, here we are 16 months into the response to a global pandemic, what impact has that had on your industry and your company in particular? Well, the industry we are in, it's growing. Last year, we managed to have a growth of 12% instead of the 20% that was our goal. But that's because in March, April, and May, we didn't ship flowers. Right. And that's quite part of our business. But that picked up quite quickly after that again, and we managed to get some new customers in. And all those new customers, they didn't ship a lot, but they did some shipments. And yeah, in the end of the year, everybody wants to have flowers on the desk because everybody was in a lockdown uh, in, uh, in, all of, yeah, in all over the right. world, I think. Right. So everybody wants to have fun in-house and, and loves to have flowers you know, in the windows. I don't know where they put it, but uh, closets. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what we're yeah. seeing here in the States is people are investing in home like never before, everything yeah. related to being at home. So yeah, uh, very interesting. Yeah. Tell me where your anti-leadership bent comes from. What does that mean? How does it manifest itself in air cargo? Well, what I'm always telling the people here is, it's, it, of course, it's my company, but it's our company. We all have our money out of it. We all have to pay mortgages. We all have to eat food. So, of course, I'm the one who is responsible at the end, but everybody has his own responsibility. So I'm quite frank with everything. Uh, I tell them the figures, the targets we have, if we made it, how much we made it, how much the profit was. That's that's what I do. And everybody is working on his division and on his uh, rocks. Let me say it that way. And that's working 
quite good here. And good. it's open communication with everybody. My door is always open. The good part of my job, and it was not last year, is that I'm traveling all over the world, all year round. Um, normally, I'm away for at least 10 days every two weeks. And I needed somebody who can take care of the, the company when I'm not inside of the office. Of course, you can run your company over all over the world, but things with staff and illness <clears throat> yeah. and people stuff. Yeah, yeah, we needed something. So that's why the anti-leader, yeah, I like being in charge, but I'm not, I don't like uh, doing the, the office things. Let's talk about that tension between your lifelong aversion to having a boss and yeah. the and the recognition that as you're growing to 25 employees getting everybody on the same page with a clear sense of priorities and accountability is yeah. important to the company right so i want to go all the way back to the beginning and then we'll then we'll do a, a similar leadership journey along the way what's the first person you remember viewing as a leader maybe it was a popular political figure or pop culture figure or sports hero or who's the first leader you remember thinking that person is a leader about well there was one guy my personal story is that my parents used to have a, a tennis center mm. and it was upcoming and everything and we had 13 inside courts and 25 outside courts mm -hmm. and i was working there and also one of the, the tennis teachers yeah he was also a part owner for i think 20 percent maybe mm -hmm. uh, he was a leader. He was chasing everything. He was doing everything. And after four or five years, my dad sold the tennis center to him. And a few years later, he started a fitness company. And the fitness company is called Basic Fit. It's registered on the, the Euronext stock exchange. Mm. He's done really, really well mm -hmm. for, uh, for a tennis teacher or a professional tennis player. And he is later on, he, he became what he does. I like to be in his footsteps. If I can do 10% of what he does, I'm quite successful already. Mm, that's terrific. What are some of the things you saw him do that you want to emulate as a leader? Very quick decisions, 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 within a split second. Mm. That's what I do as well. I make a lot of decisions quickly. Not all of them are right. Most of them are. Mm. For the listener that doesn't like to do that or isn't good at that, What's the secret from your perspective? What what helps you make a decision when you know a decision needs to be made and the worst possible thing would be kicking the decision down the road a week? First thought you have is always a good one. If they come to me and ask me a question about an investment or whatever, I ask maybe two or three questions. And if they answer me quickly, I have already a decision made. And it's bum, bum, bum. Okay, done. Do it. Afterwards, you're going to just start calculating and everything. For example, if you buy a new truck, uh, they say, yeah, yeah, but uh, we are not fully loaded, but we need an extra one for the flexibility for this, for this, for that. It's, okay, what's the cost? Yeah, it costs 25,000 euros. Okay, buy it. And then afterwards, I start thinking, uh, maybe I should have given it some more thought or whatever, or... but. No, that's my that's my way of doing. Uh, make a decision and make it quickly. Yeah, for me, I can get paralyzed by analysis when I'm not when my gut doesn't give me a right answer quickly. I can get stuck analyze ready aim aim yeah. aim aim, and so I've had yeah. to really condition myself to get better at not letting myself get stuck. So, well, I have a golden rule for that. If you have doubts of everything. It's the same if you pass a car, if you have doubts, you make it, don't do it. 
if you if you have doubts to cross the street and you think you don't make it, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And I quite visible in my my thinking, and yeah, well, if they come and I always see the the, the positive things of uh, of the propositions. It's it's very rare when they come with the proposition to me and, and I say no, but. In the end, I need to make a decision, yes or no. Yes. Yeah. So if it's not a hell yes, it's a no for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's yeah. great advice. Yeah. Great advice. It's feeling. It's it's a lot of feeling, but it, 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 in, if you visualize the situation in a few things. Another example, I think, uh, in, in a quick decision was we all had desktop computers. And they came to me, yeah, yeah, well, now I at home, I need a new a new laptop. And but maybe it's easier if we have laptops from the company so we can bring them home and we can do some work as well. No, well, I like that idea. Let's, do, let's go for it. And I didn't even ask how much the investment was. So let's do that. Yeah, we have to work at home. And yeah, of course. But it was quite a big investment. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, it's all back. If I'm looking in, the, of course, the email box in the weekends, and I see in our shared ma- mailbox, and I see five, six people picking out some emails and putting them on their names and everything. So, well, it works. Yeah, that's exactly and right. And that's, that's, that's an example of an, a decision I made really fast. Yeah. So can you think of a decision that you made quickly that you that it was a mistake? Yeah. And so give us that example. What happened and what did you learn? In 2014, I had a burnout. Mm. I hired a managing director. Mm. That was the biggest mistake I've ever made. Mm. Now, I had some doubts, but I was ill and I couldn't do it the way I wanted to do it. So, And I thought he was the right guy for it. But after a few months, it was it was a mess. Did it, it turn it out to be out. a culture fit issue or yeah. a yeah. skills issue? Both. A little uh, both. He, yeah, he wanted to be me. Uh, that's often with those guys. He had no school, no education, no nothing, but he was a hard worker and he did sales. So he was a good salesman. And he came to me and said, listen, you're sick. I take over. I will do it for you, but give me the official name. And so I have uh, rights to, to make investments, payments and everything. That was a mistake. Mm, got it. Got it. And how did you unwind that decision? <laughs> Fired him. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's not as easy as in the U.S. Here, you, you cannot fire people on the spot. That's really difficult. Yeah, I caught him doing something illegal, so it was a really small thing. But yeah. that was for me. That was the reason to get him off off my back, and uh, and I started working again for my situation it was a lot better at at that time. Uh, yeah. So I started working again for half days, and yeah, yeah and, it, and it picked up. That was really a big mistake. Yeah. Well, and you were burnt out when you made the decision, right? So one of the things I want listeners to take away from this story is that you made a mistake. It was a big one and you lived to tell about it. And so that helps me make faster decisions as I sometimes believe that whatever decision I'm making today is permanent. When in fact, if it turns out to be a mistake three or six or nine months from now, there's another path available. So sure. You can always solve problems. Yeah. That's good stuff. In your story, your entrepreneurial journey, there were a lot of people you worked for and that didn't work out so great. So I'm guessing you've also seen not so good leaders and managers working in the world that irritated you. What are the, some of the qualities or tendencies of managers you don't respond well to? Well, if you're top of your game, you do a good job and your results are good and everything. And then comes the, the manager and he says, Ah, I think he could do 10% better than that. 
that kills me. And I'm working my ass off. I'm doing 40, 50 hours a week. I'm in the top places, everything in sales. That was what happened that happened with me in the insurance company. I was on top of 300 people working there. I was in the top 10 uh, of sales. And he said, no, you have to go to top five and you have to, you have to push a little bit harder. Uh, there's a limit to everything. And I don't call it coaching. That's calling, uh, how can I say that? It's in Dutch is quite easy, but <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> well, say it in no. Dutch, and our Dutch listeners will understand completely. <laughs> no, I'm trying to keep it in, in English. It's right, good. Fair for enough. Me. Fair uh, enough. No, no. I think if you're a manager and you're a good coach, you can have so much more from. But if you're really in the top down and listen, you have to do this and this and this. You have to get Got better it. and better and better. That's not really good coaching. That's not really good management. Look. That's uh, that's. Let me ask a clarifying question about that, because I deal with this a lot with the leadership teams I'm working with every day. It sounds to me like there were two things at play there that frustrated you. One is that you were being managed the same way someone who might have been in the bottom 10 percent or bottom 20 percent was being managed. And the other was that the manager wasn't acknowledging how hard you were working or how skilled you were. It was only more, more, more. That sounded like the two things that frustrated you. Is that right? Correct. Yes. So would you agree with the statement that a manager that tailors his or her approach to the unique gifts and talents and weaknesses of an employee is better than somebody who manages everybody exactly the same way? Nobody's the same. So you, you can't manage everybody the same way. No yeah. way. Yeah. And a good manager is a good coach. Yeah. And the reason a world-class individual performer leaves an organization most of the time is because his yeah. leaders or managers doesn't recognize that without a lot of leading and managing, they're doing great work. And so yeah. they're being treated the same way as somebody who's in the bottom quartile. And that's frustrating for a champion frustrating yeah you can only do so much my response was okay if you give me a secretary i can do much more sales i have to do paperwork as well there you go there you go the company was not that big that we could do that and everything so he said you can hire your secretary for yourself because you make a lot more money as well yeah well in the end it's not all about money uh, you, you must have fun in your life that's right and it's nice yeah. to hear compliments and it's not nice to hear that you should do better if you're doing really good already So has your plan to spend all day at the beach ever materialized, Carl? (laughs) (laughs) It is. (laughs) Yeah, that's good to hear. No, actually, I have a holiday house in Spain, and due to COVID, we were not allowed to travel. But within the system now, I'm quite often more in Spain and, yeah, sitting there, do my visionary things and relaxing, enjoying life a little bit more and letting go. The company has to do it. The people who are responsible has to run it. And if there's a big problem, they will always find me. Got it. What do you do to prepare yourself to let go and really detach from the day to day when you travel to Spain and spend time at the beach house? I check the numbers every day. Mm. That's that's the only thing I have. I have to look at the sales. I look at the costs. I look at the revenues we're making, average revenues. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's what I do every day. And that takes me about an hour. So if you see the numbers are on track, you can go back to enjoying yourself. If they're off track, what happens? Then I'm, start, I'm going to start asking questions. So listen, what's, what's the problem? Why are you doing this? Why is that? Or I make it in a, a point on the, on the management uh, meeting. 
an issue so listen you need help what's what's going wrong is the customer it. gone there can be uh, some disease in flowers that you're not allowed to ship it all kinds of problems you can occur and well then we start talking about it and if it's yeah it's not not something we can quickly change yeah then we have a problem or not maybe then it, it goes on the next day again but that's how close i'm on it yeah you know i'm glad that we're having this conversation because a lot of visionaries and leadership team members reject the idea of scorecarding as not helpful in allowing people to let go and i find it central to the ability to let go that if the scorecard is telling you everything's fine you can relax and disengage and really enjoy your life outside the business and if it's telling you you need to re-engage you're doing that when it's helpful rather than all the time when you're afraid things are off track if that makes sense yeah it is and if you're afraid things getting off track well then maybe you should stay in the position that you keep on running the company that's right that's right and my vision was i i want to travel i like to travel and, and we have a lot of international customers and travel all over the world and i can't be doing both things together uh, if i'm in china and it's six hours later than it is in in europe yeah i can't run the company so i was looking for for grip on this side and the biggest problem was letting go for sure but if you have good people around you and you have for yourself uh, the figures where you can check if it's going really good yeah, you can let it go. It's not easy. <laughs> I can't yeah. say that. But in the end, if you want to grow, you have to let go. Yeah, that's great stuff. In your organization, you're very clear that in every situation, you're making a decision that optimizes the experience for your customer or your organization. And you're not kowtowing is probably an American phrase that doesn't make any sense, but you're not beholden to any airline or shipper or, or et cetera. Why are you so fiercely convicted that that's the right way to run a freight business, Carl? Well, our customers are paying the bills, so we have to take care of our customers. And if they are unhappy, we lose them. So we have to do everything for our customers. And we, we manage everything. We have a quality system in place. So we manage every every airline or every trucking company, everything we use, we monitor. And if they are below the, the levels we expect from them, we have our core values uh, in place. And if they don't meet up at, with, with our uh, core values, we have a discussion with them. Every quarter, we have with our main carriers we we have a, a meeting so listen this is not good this is not good but this was really good this was really good so we keep them sharp as well hmm. and well it helps if you have a large volume and then they listen a little bit better than you if if you don't have a big volume but it works and they are happy that we we're saying it as well even our suppliers are happy that we we, we come back with them because if they make mistakes they can grow as well. That's if right. If you don't make mistakes, you can't grow. Well, you know, what's ironic is we started this conversation talking about anti-leadership. And what I'm hearing you say is you've built a culture of the expectation of accountability. So not just yep. of your employees, but of yourself, of your vendors, even your customers. If your customers behave badly, I'm guessing you talk about core values and they need to meet your expectations as well. And so how have you gotten so good at creating a culture of accountability, having grown up with, as you say, several problems with authority? 
I'm a very open person and everybody can talk with me and, and, mm-hmm. and my door is always open. So I talk, that's what I do. I talk with everybody. I try to coach people. I try to make them better. And if people are good in one particular thing, let them do that. Let, let them grow in that and let them accelerate in the things that they having fun with doing and take away the things they don't like doing. Like I told you my story in, in insurance, give me a secretary and I can do the things I love. That's right. And if you do that inside the company, I do that in my company and other people don't like the things uh, another likes to do and just the things he doesn't like to do. So it, it fixes in that way. Yeah. We can handle uh, a lot of problems. Well, it Luckily com- we don't have them. Yeah. It comes back to the information we talked about earlier where you, it sounds like you're comfortable really understanding the people that work for you, what they're good at, what they love to do, what they're not yeah. good at and are, are never going to love to do. And as long as it fits what your company needs, letting them run with the stuff they're going to hit out of the park every day without needing a lot of daily management. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Gets it. Once it has capacity, that's uh, that's the question we awesome. ask everybody every month. Awesome. Awesome. One last question. April told me that when you and she were talking, there was a plane blowing up in the background. Can you tell us the blowing up the plane story, please? <laughs> you mean my plane in my in my background? Yes. No, it's, it's just my, my wallpaper. I changed my office a little bit and I printed the wallpaper on, uh, on some vinyl. Turns out that everybody loves it. <laughs> yeah, it is fabulous. What significance does the plane have? Is that just an image of a plane? No, it is, it, we use this image in one of our core values. So mm. we printed them. On, on, uh, we have several three core values. One of them is, is printed on this one. And we have a propeller printed on this one, mm-hmm. of course. Well, it has propellers, so we made our propeller on this one as well. Right, give us the three core values, will you? Ah, that's a question. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should have asked the integrator that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, the, the main thing is fast and professional. That's for us, we live by that. We try to answer within 15 minutes for a quotation or something. We try to respond with 15 minutes during office hours. That doesn't work always. Sometimes we are quite busy. We are quite successful at the moment. So yeah, we have to expand the people again uh, to fulfill on our uh, own requirements. And it works. People know what, what the drill is. Uh, okay, we are fast and professional. Uh, you know the drill. You don't have to wait for an hour to give an answer. You, mm-hmm. And even if you don't know the answer, respond. That's right. That's what we do. And that's one of the core values. The other one we have is we have extended services. Of course, we are in the, in the logistics business, so we have 24 seven uh, hours and we try to make the solutions happen for our customers. For example, a good example maybe is Brexit. Brexit is no longer part of the European Union. So we have to treat uh, UK now the same as uh, USA. Uh, so we have to make export decorations and everything, uh, all custom clearances and everything. So we made a solution with our, a partner in, in the UK that they do the custom decorations for us or for our customers. So the trucks can drive on and, and to the canal and everything and they don't need to stop and until there's a problem, they have to stop and they have to drive to some point. So we, we created that for our customers. Mm-hmm. And that was quite a good shot, uh, mm-hmm. to be honest. And that works. Uh, and yeah, that's what I call extended services. Uh, we think ahead for our customers and uh, yeah, we try to make a solution for everything. And then the last one is the most beautiful one, passionate and driven. If you want to work for us, you must have a passion. You must have passion for air freight and logistics. If you don't have it, you don't succeed here. Yeah. And to be honest, I changed 70% of the people when we started with AOS. 
Mm-hmm. That was shocking. People were working for me for more than 10 years, they left. They couldn't fulfill the, the, the passion that I'm driven anymore. Mm-hmm. So everybody who's in one, especially for working uh, in, in the company, they must have a passion for air freight. Yeah. If not, you will not succeed. Well, the, even uh, somebody who knows as little about your organization as I do came to the conclusion that you know, it's a 24-7 operation. There things go wrong every single day. If you don't have passion and drive, how are you going to be great at this job and, and a great piece of, of your team? So that yeah. makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. But you must be you must be honest. You must be humorous. Uh, you must have respect for everybody. Right. It's all with the passion. Yeah. That's great. That's great. All right, before we close in earnest, I want you to think about the young Carl who's just embarking on his journey to become the best leader he can be. If you had one piece of advice to give yourself way back when you started your first business at 19, what's the best piece of advice you think you could give? Finish your school. <laughs> I no. don't know, Carl. You seem to have done pretty well without school. Let's. Uh... <laughs> Maybe I'd have done better if I finished my school. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Why did you say that so comfortably? What? Why did that pop into your brain first? Because I regret that uh, I had did have the brains to go to university, but I didn't do it because I was stubborn. And listen, no, I don't want to do this. People telling me what to do. No, 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 no. It's not for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it my way. I tell my son he's in university now, and I tell him finish the school, finish everything, have the knowledge, and then you start uh, with your feet in the, on the ground, and you can work your way up much faster as I can. You have better overview of your decisions, I believe. I'm not, I'm not sure, but uh, th- that's the only thing. I think I missed some mm. some knowledge during the, during my path. Now I'm as far, I have people working for me. They do excellent in universities, and I have the ability to, uh, to yeah. I can afford those people to work for me. So that's right. they make me that's better. Right. You've come to understand how what you learn in university really helps you think through things and be effective later in life. Yeah. The other thing I heard in that piece of advice is, and I appreciate you sharing the detail, not everything authority figures are telling you when you're a young man or woman is at cross purposes with your well-being. In other words, your parents or your aunts and uncles or other people were well-intentioned when they told you to go to university because they thought it might be great for you, not because they wanted you to do it. Yeah. So realize and acknowledge that there are lots of people out there wanting to help you if you just accept the help always accept help it is for free free. it is for free that's for sure yeah listen to listen to people who are successful and if they say you have to do it like this well think about it and fit it in your own system all right where can the listeners learn more about you and air cargo if they want to learn more ah well they can always call me but we have a website uh, www.cargo.nl of course, we have it in English as well. And my name and my email awesome. is on the website uh, with the staff. And uh, if people have questions or they want to use our excellent services from the Netherlands, don't hesitate to contact us yeah, or me. That's great. Yeah. And and you will enjoy yourself. That's what I'm going to share with the listeners. I have I enjoyed will. every minute of this uh, conversation, Carl. I look Good. forward to a chance to have another conversation, maybe meet you in person someday soon. Thank you for spending time on the EOS Leader Podcast, where knowing that you're on this journey with other great people like Carl is what it's all about. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you for having me, Peyton. Uh,
If you got value from today's episode, do me a favor. Open your podcasting app and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. If you've already subscribed, please subscribe one of your friends. Yeah.